Hello, everyone. Welcome to MicroKey On Air. My name is Meredith Stone and joined today by our president, Fearless, as always, and our host with the most is Victoria Farrow. Glad to have you here today, Victoria. Thanks, Meredith. And we are also joined by a very special guest, Vicki Oliver. Vicki is a leading career development expert and a multi-best-selling author of five books. How about that, Victoria? That's pretty amazing. It is. She is a sought-after speaker and seminar presenter. She's made over 901 appearances in broadcast, print, and online outlets. And she speaks a lot to interviewing, interview prep, business etiquette, and what makes it so important that employers consider women for the workforce and for their positions. And this is going to be a fabulous conversation to have with Vicki. I'm very excited. And we have a Vicki and a Victoria. So this is going to be fun too. <laughs> so without- I noticed that also. <laughs> so I'm going to turn it over to Victoria and I'm really looking forward to our conversation with Vicki. Vicki, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to get into this. So as Meredith said, um, thanks so much for being here. I'm excited to have this conversation. It's really a topic that I think is prevalent, not just in the security alarm industry, but I think to you know employers everywhere. Even years after COVID, the lockdown, we are still suffering from the effects of the great resignation. Can you talk to me a little bit about, in our listeners, a little bit about exactly what is the great resignation and is there a gender gap in this great resignation? Thank you so much for asking me that. So the great resignation is really what happened for the most part during the pandemic where people, everyone, women and men who were working sort of took a collective thought break on their jobs and asked themselves how happy they were. Because of course, during the Great Resignation, people didn't go into the office as much, right? Because there was a big pandemic raging. Right. And there wasn't very much commute time for most of us, right? We were like at home doing our jobs. And it was an opportunity to assess how much we liked the jobs. And basically, a lot of people did not like their job for whatever reason. You know, they were frustrated. They felt like um, maybe they were overemployed. Maybe they were underappreciated. You know, maybe they were underpaid. And huge numbers of people quit their job. That's what the great resignation is. But among those people, I would say for women, it was even more excessive, like the number of women who quit was even vastly greater than the number of men who quit. So yeah, there's a gender gap in it. So what do the statistics say? Why did more women quit in larger numbers than men during this time, during the Great Resignation? So first of all, the quit rate for women was 4.1% versus 3.4% for men. 
okay? And the research showed that a lot of women felt really frustrated with their jobs, also the lack of flexibility, um, you know, the fact that they were underappreciated, that they earn less than men. Like today, most women earn 81 cents for every dollar that men earn, you know? And in certain cohorts, it's even worse than that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for the same job, for the same job, right? So there's lots of things, you know, women um, did not really get a fair shake. Um, when, I'm talking like before the pandemic, I don't think that women got a fair shake at most of their offices because sometimes their bosses weren't flexible and women need more flexibility than men, you know? So. It's a, a number of different reasons why, but the, the thing is the pandemic is over, right? But the great resignation, the effects of it are still with us. Uh -huh. And women are, you know, many, 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 many women have decided to not go back, you know, not go back to work. So what are some of the roadblocks to women's employment? Well, for, for starters, you know, women still have the brunt of raising their children, you know? Uh -huh. And so if a workplace isn't flexible, if it doesn't give like, you know, work time flexibility, it's really kind of a non-starter for a lot of women, especially because they had a chance to compare how it was to work from home during the pandemic, right? So uh -huh. during the pandemic, they were home like five days a week, right? Now, there are many hybrid situations where women are returning to the office, you know, men and women returning to the office three days a week or whatever. But during the pandemic, everybody had more flexibility, right? And so today, you know, because women, a lot of times they're juggling care for their children, but even maybe their parents. So like they're the sandwich in between like the two generations and they're burdened. And so if, if we're, if employers want them back, they have to be more flexible, you know, and give them more options. And if those employers don't give them flexibility, a lot of women are like, you know what, like, why should I pay for childcare? I can do the childcare, you know, mm -hmm. and not go back. Interesting. So what are some other flexibility options that you think you know, would be attractive to, you know, retaining women, not just flexibility and time. Is hybrid becoming the new normal? Is that here to stay, do you think? Um, is that the primary flexibility that women are looking for? Or are there other things that they're that they're looking for in regards to being able to balance that family, that care, that that um child care, um, elder care balance? Well, I think um there's lots of things that women require. Like one of them is about scheduling meetings to meet their time, their convenient times and not scheduling meetings like really late at night, for example, that like would be a terrible thing. I think that, you know, giving more paid family leave um, is, is a good idea. I don't think that the hybrid model is necessarily completely here to, to stay. What I mean is, I mean, there's so many different versions of it. There, there's not just one version. Like some offices, everyone works like three days a week in the middle of the week, right? Mm -hmm. Other offices, it's two days a week and the days are completely different, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, hybrid means like numerous things to different 
companies. And, and I think it can sometimes be counterproductive actually, because let's say if it's two days a week and then nobody's in there on the same days, you know, mm-hmm. they don't have a chance to work together to solve problems and develop in- innovative solutions, you know? So I'm not a prognosticator, you know, I don't know, but I think this is all being ironed out as we speak right now, you know? Sure. So I don't think, I don't think hybrid is necessarily like the only answer. I mean, I feel like companies could, you know, contract with a childcare center nearby and offer better rates, you know, to parents. I mean, there's all kinds of things that companies can do, but the main thing um, that we haven't really gotten to yet, I think is having like more role models and more leaders who are women on the team, because that's the other thing. There's, there's the facts of like being flexible, allowing a woman to go, let's say to a PTA meeting, you know, uh, to help her child in an emergency, right. To be home some of the time working, there's all of that, but there's also the feeling like when somebody comes into a company and they're for the first time or when they're onboarded for the first time. Right. And it, they're just not any women leaders. Right. And that is a huge turnoff too. You have a lot of um, experience in coaching companies on how to interview and attract talent. So how does a company make this known that, you know, if they take the plunge and they bring more women on their leadership team, if they offer more of a flexible environment or if they're open to flexibility or if they're open to getting some, you know, negotiating some childcare rates or some of these other things that might attract attract um, and retain women employees, how do they advertise that, like to attract people to even be interested in the positions available at their at their companies? Yeah, that's an excellent point. I mean, I think it first starts when a company is hiring people. And I think, you know, there's this term like hire blind, mm-hmm. which is basically saying, you know, we're going to be gender blind when it comes to re- our recruiting practices, right? We're going to mask gender information for the candidates in the first initial process. Uh, we're going to base decisions solely on the candidates, uh, you know, readiness for the job, uh, their experience, their skills, their education, you know, and we're going to uh, you know, wear a diverse lens also, right? So so that that's where it starts. But I think like also once you get in, once women are hired, they need to be able to reach out to other women there, you know? Mm-hmm. Like maybe you have a mentoring uh, program that you institute and there's women who can help other women, you know, after the onboarding thing, because a lot of times onboarding, you know, is a very superficial process. It should mm-hmm. probably be a deep process, but it ends up being super superficial, you know, right. and it lasts a couple of days or whatever. Right. And, but actually onboarding and learning, learning the tasks and who the people are and, you know, who the clients are, et cetera, all of that. That could take really up to a year, I would say, for a new employee to learn the ropes. And I think that if that person has questions, they need to be able to turn to somebody in the company. And I think if, if, if it's a female, I think it's just more helpful. I just think it's better. It's not to say men can't be mentors. They can be. Of course they can be. But I think women might feel more comfortable 
with a female mentor who can guide them through and also you know, people that they can look up to, role models who have real leadership uh, positions in the company. I want to talk a little bit more about the hiring blind process. Really interesting. You said very briefly that one of the ways that you hire blind is to mask the candidate's gender or their name. So what does that look like? The hiring or the person who puts the the job ad, uh, you know, the job ad um, that does the, the actual posting of the job and then takes the resumes, do they mask the names and the gender and yeah, then move them onto the hiring? The, they mask the names and the gender. And it's just the first step so mm-hmm. that everybody gets like a kind of a fair chance. But another thing, and it's, it's it doesn't, not exactly hiring blind, but also the language of those recruitment ads. You know, like sometimes the language I've seen, for example, a lot of language that says we're looking for young people. OK, mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's like actually illegal. I mean, I don't want, you know what I mean? I don't want to. Right. Fights, but that's actually illegal. Like age um, should not be a factor, you know, but sometimes in code, that's open language. Like we want young people, you know, but sometimes in coded language. There can be other ways that employers signal that they're looking for men versus women, right? Like if they're looking, if the, if the language says like, we're looking for an aggressive, you know, dynamic go-getter, like a rainmaker, those types of words really, really gear male. Mm-hmm. And so some of the language I think needs to be evaluated, you know, in terms of just it's off-putting. I'd say to most women to read language like that, you know? So that's another way, just having, you know, emphasizing that um, it's a team, it's a caring environment, you know? Um, Using like more empathetic words, I think are more attractive to most women. So you said something about um, looking for young and, of course, like you said, that's illegal. Um, I think, you know, instead of young, maybe you're looking for somebody uh, more entry level. What would be a more approach? You know, maybe you don't have like an age set, but you're looking for somebody who is looking to maybe make a career switch from, you know, one one career to another career or to start something new or to try something different, what would be more appropriate language um, that you can use instead of young? You're, you're looking for young, young skilled, not young in chronological age. Right. I mean, I would, I personally think that if a company says that they offer training, Mm. I think that that is very, very attractive actually to all cohorts, you know, because what are we looking for when we work? You know, I mean, obviously we want to earn money. That's very, very significant. But then after that, I would say we want to learn and we want to grow, right? Mm -hmm. We want to be promoted no matter how old we are, you know? And so I just feel like if they offer training um, and also if they offer education, of some kind, not just training, but, you know, in some cases, education that's applicable, you know, sure. Job at hand. I think that's very attractive too. 
Interesting. Now, the industries, we're in a vertical industry, um, as you know, as we've discussed, and there are two aspects of our listeners. One aspect of the listeners, um, their business focuses on more of a technical installation that would be traditionally male-dominated. And I think that um, having more of an open, and, and they're having difficulty actually filling technician spots or technicians are being lured away for a dollar or $2 more an hour to go to the company down the street. And I think that um, if they were more open-minded and break the barriers of a technician equals a male individual and kind of adhere to more of this hiring blind with, you know, some training, on-the-job training, some education, um, that they might have more success and retention in filling those technical roles. So in a traditionally male-dominated um, field or traditional male-dominated um, position, Um, how can you recommend that my listeners would be able to, you know, take that first step to even get outside or step outside of their own comfort zone and do something different and just be like, you know, we're opening this up to both genders, men and women, um, moms, young people, older people, career changing people to really, uh, you know, kind the, the pain point of lack of employees and retention really is prevalent in that specific field. So how, how do they get started with getting outside of their comfort zone, do you think? Well, I think first off, just exactly what you said, like getting the word out within the company that, you know, these barriers are down. We mm-hmm. need people, okay? We're suffering because we don't have enough people to do the installations, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and And, you know, Asking people, can you recommend? Can you recommend people? Do you do you know people? You know, not just having it be like one person's job to recruit people, but mm-hmm. making it like a company imperative. You know, right. uh, so that might be one thing that I might think about doing. Um, and you know, the word gets out too. You know what I mean? Like if one company starts hiring more women and hiring, you know, other cohorts to join, uh, the word gets out. And I think that then the reputation, you know, is like improves too. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Now from the other aspect of our, of our business, you know, the traditional um, dispatchers and operators, there is you know, uh, maybe a higher percentage of females versus male operators. Um, Traditionally, second shift and third shift are more difficult to attract employees, to retain employees, especially, you know, from a female perspective, as you mentioned, you know, women traditionally bear the responsibility for childcare and elder care and, um, you know, running the household. is there any creative ideas that you could think of that employers might be able to make those two shifts more attractive um, to keep their their female um, operators or to attract more operators into um, those shift variations? Well, I, you know, um, if you I think that if you offer like, you know, money, Mm -hmm. (laughs) more money for like, you know, the worst shifts, I think that, you know, kind of might help. But also if there's any, um, if there's any way to make it a little more fun, 
I also think that that can be an attraction, you know, Mm -hmm. if there's a way to have like a dinner dinners, you can have dinner there. Um, You can, if there's a brainstorming aspect, you know, where you bring in the workers and you ask them for their opinions Mm -hmm. on how to improve the situation. I I think that people like to have a voice and I think possibly, I mean, I'm not in that industry, but I think possibly one um, drawback of the late, late shift is maybe that those people don't feel like they're part of things, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, because they're like off on their own, you know, it's late. For sure. So maybe there's a way to, to break that down, you know, and just have, you know, mission retreats and brainstorming sessions so that like the employees feel like they are part of it, that it's not just a top down thing, you know, that their thoughts and their opinions matter Mm -hmm. into how to make things better. I think that's, I think that's really, I, I think that's really important. I think that's, Um, I think that's right on because you might feel like you're, you know, you're on an island and nobody cares about, you know, the third shift because nobody from the leadership team may even have interactions with individuals from the the third shift because they're just passing through the company different time during different time frames. Well, this has been this has been really enlightening. You know, I am a woman leader in a predominantly male space. We do have a our company internally has a pretty good mix of female and male in technical roles in leadership roles so i feel i feel good about um, us having representation of you know female leaders within the company to be able to mentor um, some of the people that are up and coming into this type of industry or, or our company but some really key takeaways for me i love this concept of hiring blind I think that really you do when you see a resume or you have a position, maybe even subconsciously in your mind, you have some predisposition or some thoughts in your mind in regards to gender. So I think that that's something that all companies can implement right away. I like some of the tips that you gave in regards to the flexibility, in regards to having people, you know, be included, the dinners on the third shift or the second shift to attract people like this is an additional perk. Some of the options that we talked about, negotiating rates for childcare, that's like a brilliant idea to just be able to say, you know, here we've negotiated this rate for you or we're going to subsidize this rate for you for childcare would be a a huge incentive for women to think about signing on. So much wonderful tips and information. This has been invaluable, Vicki. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing some of your knowledge and insight in this area. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. Thank you so much, Vicki, for being here. Listeners, we do have a blog available on our microkey.com website under the company menu. Please take a look. We're going to have some information on Vicki. Vicki, did you have anything that you wanted to talk about as far as what you are doing in your career now? Where where are you? Um, I am always writing blogs, writing articles, 
always thinking about the next book mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and um, just very happy to, uh, you know, be helping people in this new, new world, navigate this new, new hybrid, partially hybrid, completely back to the office world. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, my name is Vicki Oliver and my website is Vicki, V-I-C-K-Y, Oliver, Com. And there's a lot of information on the website for people to take a look at, um, you know, articles and I think helpful hints and tips and ways to get in touch with me if they want. And I've written five books. Ooh, nice. And then your books, I assume, are listed along with. Um, they are. It's So three. like 301 Smart Answers to Tough Interview Questions is one of them. Bad Bosses, Crazy Coworkers, and Other Office Idiots is another. Not oh, I need that one. <laughs> awesome. Give your website one more time. Vicky, V-I-C-K-Y, Oliver, O-L-I-V-E-R.com. Well, again, thank you, Vicky, for being here with us. Okay, well, Victoria, guess what it's time for? What time is it? It's time for Alarming Humor. I got Woo-hoo! a good one for you today. All right, let's do it. Did you hear about the person who taped microwave popcorn to the ceiling? I did not. Said it's cheaper than a smoke alarm. <laughs> That's a good one. All right, folks, that was Alarming Humor and also, sadly, the conclusion of this episode of our Microsoft On Air podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Victoria. Always lovely to have you on as our co-host with the most. We hope everybody has a wonderful rest of the day. Mm-hmm.